Everyday People. That's a fun song, huh? Great, great job on the Scooby Doobies, by the way. I, I feel like those sound really goofy when I sing them, but that sounded great. <laughs> it, it, I love that idea, right? That no matter what makes us different, we're all just everyday people. We can all get along, right? We can all be friends. Reality is, it uh, sounds nice, but it doesn't often work out that way. And this week in the Magical Mystery Tour, we're looking at this idea of human dignity, human value, and where that comes from. Because the way that we answer that question dramatically impacts what we believe about each other, the way that we treat each other, and whether that whole thing holds together or just completely falls apart. And that's been true throughout history and across the globe. In fact, you can think about India, where Hinduism is commonly practiced. In Hinduism, there's a very strict caste system, and it's based on behavior. So human value, how much you're worth, depends on where you fall in the caste system. And as you live through the cycles of your life, if you live your life well, if you do good things, you can come back in the next life at a higher level. If things don't go well, you may come back in the next life at a lower level until ultimately you can fall off the bottom and out of the caste system you become an outcast. That's where that word comes from. So if that's what you think about human value, if if our behavior is where we get our value from, if our level in the system is where we find our dignity, then here's one of the kinds of things that can happen. In ancient India, in Hindu cultures, they had a practice called suti. Suti was, if you were a woman at that time, and your husband, whether he was a landowner or a politician, if he died... Well, your value really was connected to the fact that you were married to this man. And so you were expected to, as a live person, throw yourself onto his funeral pyre. That was the the best thing that you could do because you really don't have value anymore if your husband is gone. So to respect the one who did have the value, you kill yourself. Women who refused to do this became outcasts. Now we hear that and we think that's barbaric and that was centuries ago and we know better than that now, but it actually took the Queen of England in 1930 passing a law that you can no longer do this for that to really end in Hindu cultures. Let's think about maybe one that we think is a little more civilized, a little more familiar to Western cultures in the Roman Empire. The Romans cared a lot about individual rights. As long as you were Roman... You see, in the Roman Empire, human value came from your nationality. Who you were, where you were born, what kind of bloodlines you had. And so they had an intense nationalism that would look down on anybody who wasn't Roman. That led to a dramatic slave trade, and even to the point that human lives would be killed for sport in the Colosseum. You think of like the movie Gladiator, right? And we watch those things, and we think that's barbaric, you know, to to treat people as if they're nothing more than entertainment on a Saturday afternoon, and to let them die so that we can clap a little bit and then go back to whatever we were going to do that day, mow the lawn or something. And we say that's that's barbaric. We we know better than that now. And yet, if we move just a little bit further north, but a lot more recently in history, you know, some of these same kinds of ideas are what led to Hitler's. Nazi Germany, this intense nationalism, this idea that there is something about me that is more special than something about you. 
You know, he pulled in a lot of different ideas to try to justify this and to try to win people over, including some evolution ideas, where he would indicate that if our value comes from our ability to survive, then if I start a war and you don't survive, that means I am the one who has the value. I actually have the right to kill other people. Now, I doubt if any of us in this room would say that Hitler had the right idea about human value, right? We probably don't have to spend a lot of time unpacking that one. But some of those lines of thinking end up affecting us right here in the United States as well. These ideas that whether it's my nationality or whether it's my behavior, whether it's my education or my wealth, that there's something that makes me more important than you has led to things in in our history here like Manifest Destiny, our own slave trade, even abortion, the racial tension that we feel today, always coming back to some kind of idea that we have different levels of value. And you can see how these ideologies can play out that way. But you know, back in the Roman Empire, something happened that changed things. That something was Jesus. You see, Jesus showed up And he started teaching people that whether you were a slave or free, whether you were a man or woman, whether you were a Jew or Greek or Roman or whatever, everybody had inherent value. That was extremely countercultural. That is not what people around Jesus wanted to hear, and it began to change what was going on in the Roman Empire. And so as you and I sit here today, and we see the turmoil that is in our own world, We look around and we wonder if there's something like that that could change what's happening around us. As we see all the difficulty, all the pain, all the struggle, and we ask ourselves, what's going on? I'd say that one definitely sounds better when you guys sing it too. (laughs) What's going on? You know, we hear that song, we ask that question. And, you know, that song indicates that we need to find a way to get some love today, right? When we think about that question, when we think about the world around us, you know, maybe as you hear that, it conjures up images for you of things you've read about past civilizations, past empires, wars and turmoil and opposition and oppression. Or maybe it reminds you of things that you lived through in the 1960s with the turmoil of the civil rights movement. If we're honest with ourselves, it's frustrating to realize that it reminds us of things that we experienced in the last week, saw in the news in the last month. Whether that's race relations, gender debates, political opponents, religious radicals, and those are just a few of the elephants in the room, and those are just the ones that are in the public square. Not to mention the way that the question of human dignity and human value, whose needs are more important than whose needs, or how do we dress each other's needs, impact our daily lives, our personal relationships with the people that are actually around us. Now, how do I treat that passive-aggressive family member? Or maybe that active-aggressive family member? (laughs) Or co-worker? You know, how do I... Think about that person. You you know the one I'm talking about who just, it always seems like their needs are more important than everybody else. It always feels like they're just in it for me. And how often I realize that intentionally or not, 
I can be that person. I'll be honest with you, and you could probably guess this. We are not going to solve all of the world's problems in our 30 minutes together at Horizon this morning. But here's what I think we can do. Because when we ask what's going on, when we ask what can we do about it, I really believe that the way that we answer that affects whether or not we can do anything about it. And, and I believe that Christianity offers us a unique perspective that actually works. Because even if I can't change the world around me, Christianity offers something that can change me. And through me, that can change the people that I come into contact with. You see, because God gives us the who, the why, and the how to change what's going on. The who, the why, and the how to change What's going on? I believe that the unique perspective that Christianity offers give us something that is permanent, that is long-lasting, that doesn't shift as the sands of time do. A more important way to see human dignity and human value. So our first mystery today is who. Who has human dignity? Who has human value? And you're probably not surprised to hear me say everybody. All right? So we'll put that right up front. But it's every person because they're created by God. Every person is created by God. You see, if that's true, then that gives us something that is deeper than our differences, more foundational than the things that can separate us. And that's so foundational to our understanding of Christianity, our understanding of God, our understanding of the Bible, that it actually comes in the first chapter of the first book. In my copy, it's technically page 2. But that's still really close to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You see, what that means is that in all of creation, all of the trees, all of the plants, all of the animals, everything in the world, all of the, all of the planets in our solar system, all of the stars spread, spread throughout space, there's something unique there's something intrinsically valuable, something special about people because we're made in the image of God. Now, you may be sitting here this morning and thinking, I'm not sure if I believe that God exists, so it's hard for me to get on board with the idea that we're created in His image. That's okay. You know, if we're exploring God together today, then what I would invite you to do is just to consider how much this impacts us if this were true. If it's really true that we're made in God's image, then that dramatically impacts the way I think about the people around me, the way I treat the people around me. If we're made in God's image, if we have a reflection of His intelligence, a reflection of His love, if we're made for His kind of peace and His kind of joy, if we are a reflection of His creativity, made in His image because we can create and we can enjoy our creations, art, music, film, you know, these things that we love, that we're created for love, that we reflect God in the way that we can love each other, and ultimately in the relationship we have with God himself, so that our value is coming from something deeper than our differences. Regardless of our education, regardless of our wealth, regardless of our social status or, our, or the color of our skin or our gender or anything else, there is something core 
about who we are and how we were created. You know, that doesn't just come through in Genesis chapter 1, but this is one of those places that, that if that's true, that if there's something deeper than our differences that makes us alike, then we would expect science to be able to back that up. And in fact, you may know the name Francis S. Collins. He's currently the director of the National Institutes of Health. But Francis Collins was also the point person on the Human Genome Project. At one point in his life, Collins was an atheist. At another point in his life, he was a self-described casual agnostic. And he said that what he meant by that was that he had objections to faith, but he hadn't dug deeply enough into them to really anchor his life in his objections. And so what he discovered was that the deeper he dug, as a scientist, the more that he found, he kept seeing more and more confirmation, affirmation that God must exist and that what the Bible was saying was really true. And one of those came through the Human Genome Project. Now, I'll be honest with you, I have not dug as deeply as mapping out the human genome. How many of us have mapped the human genome? (laughs) But this team of scientists did this. And what they found as they dug deeper and deeper into more and more detail was just on, on one layer. If you think about the racial tension that we experience still in our world today, just in terms of race, scientifically speaking, there is only one race. And it's the human race. When they mapped out the human genome, what they discovered is all of these things that we think of as race or even nationality really amount to less than a thousandth of a percent of what actually makes us up. It really boils down to taller, shorter, lighter, darker, black hair, blonde hair, brown hair, green eyes, blue eyes. We're just everyday people. That at the core of our beings of how we were created, there is a lot more that unites us than makes us feel different. There's something deeper than our differences that can unite us. You know, one of the amazing stories that I saw of of this kind of thing happening actually came out of the 1960s, where there was a group of African-American women who got jobs at NASA. And, And NASA needed these women because they were brilliant mathematicians, and they were able to calculate not just how to get a man into space, But how to bring him home again, which two people like John Glenn and Neil Armstrong, that part's really important. (laughs) And so they found that there at NASA, color, gender, all of these differences fell away when they were united by something that was bigger than their differences. And I want you to see a clip where there's two people talking about what this looks like and how NASA, the spaceship, their space travel was that something bigger. Let's watch. Most shield erosion occurs on the posterior side abutting the retroboosters. Conclusion? The area closest to the booster is closest to the heat. Coupled with rising temperature on re-entry, contact softens. We could consider another fastener other than the boat. Yes. Yes. There was another opening in the engineer training program. Flathead rivets would reduce wind drag. Mary, a person with engineer's mind should be an engineer. You can't be a computer the rest of your life. Mr. Zelensky, I'm a Negro woman. I'm not going to entertain the impossible. 
And I'm a Polish Jew whose parents died in a Nazi prison camp. Now I'm standing beneath a spaceship that's going to carry an astronaut to the stars. I think we can say, we are living the impossible. Let me ask you, if you were a white male, would you wish to be an engineer? I wouldn't have to. I'd already be one. It comes from the movie Hidden Figures, and you can see some of those women in this picture here. Dorothy Vaughn, Leslie Hunter, Vivian Adair were some of these pioneers who, who found their jobs at NASA were uniting them under a common purpose despite all of the differences that they may have shared with other people. And I think what's so incredible about that is, is that it was not a quest for uniformity, but a quest for unity, a desire to draw together over something deeper. The only problem is, Jobs don't last forever. Those women, those women don't work at NASA anymore. And ultimately, NASA doesn't last forever. Even the Roman Empire fell. Now, things of this world, whether it's governments or jobs, positions or companies, none of these things last forever. But that brings us to our second mystery, which is the why mystery. Because if every person is created by God... And every person is carefully created with eternal value. This idea that the people around you outlast the governments, the projects, the problems. That the people around us have eternal value. You, remember, you may remember a couple weeks ago, uh, Chad spoke a little bit about eternity. Uh, that everybody is headed towards one of two destinations determined by whether we decide to follow God's will or follow our own will. And that can be a difficult topic. But as we think about that, what, what that means is that when God created us, His desire for us was that we would be carefully created to spend eternity with Him. God places a lot of value in people. In fact, in Psalm 139, which uh, you may have heard Chad mention uh, during Mother's Day last week, it says that you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Now first you have to ask if you believe that. Because there's a couple different layers here. One of them is a theological layer. Do I believe that God created people? And another layer is, if I believe that, do I believe it about myself? I really believe that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That I have inherent value just because of the fact that God is my creator. Because if I don't believe that about myself, it's really hard to believe that about other people. And then a lot of other elements start coming in to try to help me make decisions about how I treat myself and how I treat them. In fact, a psalmist in another place, in Psalm 8, he says this, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him? And it makes sense, right? If we're going to allow for the sake of discussion that God is the creator of the universe, if he created everything, and we feel pretty good about our planet. It's a big place, a lot of cool stuff. And not only that, there are nine planets in our solar system, but it's just one corner of our galaxy. And that's just... One corner of outer space where God has spread nebula and billions of light years and billions of stars. 
Now, the one that you see on the left here is just one of millions of nebula containing thousands of stars, thousands of planets, the absolute beauty that is stretched out by God's own hand through an infinitely expanding universe. And to think that with those same two hands, he did his finest detail work when he crafted you in the palm of his hand. Everything about you right there in his creative mind. And God says, this is going to be in my image. This is going to be special to me. You have value. I remember when my wife and I were having kids, there were always these ultrasounds. You could kind of check on how the baby was doing, right? And, and the pictures you see here are actually from our twin boys. They're five now. Uh, that's baby A on the top and baby B on the bottom. Always labeled, right? But we, I remember this was a high-risk pregnancy, and so we had a lot of ultrasounds. And some of them were extremely early on. And you're looking like just weeks into the pregnancy at these ultrasounds of these tiny little babies. And you can see that little heart beating it just looks like a coin flipping over back and forth and as they grow and you see their fingers wiggling and you see them stretching their arms and because there's two of them in there you see them kind of like kicking each other in the face (laughs) And, and as their dad i'm just like amazed this is god's work this is a person and i love them and i would do anything for them because that's my child You know, you have that moment again when they're born and you get to hold them for the first time. And throughout the years, even as they they struggle, as they learn, when they disobey, there's always a moment that you come back to because this is my child. This person has value to me. This person matters. Tell you what, that's easy to do with my kids because they're mine. Because I've seen them grow, because I've had those moments. It's a little bit harder with the guy that cuts me off in traffic on the way to Horizon on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and I know it may have been one of you. <laughs> you know, it's a little bit harder with that person at work that we just seem like we're always butting heads. It's, it's a little bit harder when I'm watching the news and somebody comes on and I just, I cannot believe that people are this stupid to look at them and realize this is God's finest detailed work. This person has value because they were created by God just like I was. Now think about the person that you came here with this morning. Maybe the person sitting next to you right now. They have eternal value because they were carefully created by God himself. C.S. Lewis, in a lecture he gave called The Weight of Glory, described this concept. It was called the weight of glory because he was talking not only about God's glory, but that if we were created for eternity, that God is bringing us to a place of glory where we spend eternity with him. And this is how he said, remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to, now don't think about the person sitting next to you right now, the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. See, if that's true, that changes the way that I think about you. 
That changes the way that I act towards you. That dramatically affects the way we see people. Because if we are carefully created with eternal value, then we realize that God has put that value in us. In fact, in John 3.16, one of the most recognizable verses in Scripture, we see exactly how much God values people and how much He's willing to do because of it. That verse says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, this is God's investment in human dignity. This is how much God cares about the value that each of us has, that not only did He create us, But when things went wrong, when we hurt each other, when we fall short of our own standards, let alone the standard that God would have for us, God says, I will come there myself. I will show you my love in the form of the God-man, Jesus Christ, who lived right here, who took on this form. That's how much God values humanity, that, that he would come and live as one of us. So that we could have the everlasting life. So that we could have the eternity with Him. Now there's another one. Eternity, right? That's a tough concept to wrap our minds around. I remember uh, when I was struggling through questions on my own faith journey. There were times that I would lay in bed at night. And and I kid you not. I I would just... I I couldn't fall asleep because I'm trying to figure out... How does God have no beginning? And how does God have no end? And if I believe in Jesus and He forgives me for everything I've done wrong that I join into that, having no end going on forever life. And I I know it's supposed to be good, but that's hard to understand, and I don't like not understanding things. And I would lay in my bed and pray to the God that I believed was there, Dear Lord, please let forever end so that I can understand it better. And maybe that sounds silly, but that's how hard it is to wrap our minds around sometimes. And And that's what makes it so hard at moments to love each other despite our differences because we see the here and now. We feel the pain and the frustration of the here and now. We see the differences on the surface that feel like they divide us when really there's something deeper and something that lasts forever that should bring us together. And I've got good news for you because sometimes we think about that everlasting life and we're not sure we want that because if the whole thing is is harps and halos, that doesn't actually sound that interesting, right? But it's not all harps and halos. The picture that God is giving us is that it's the beauty of nature without natural disasters. The beauty of relationships without the pain of rejection, the pain of betrayal. It's the beauty of love without ulterior motives, but the perfect love with which God loves us that we get to experience for the rest of eternity. If that's the value that God puts into human life, then that's the value that He wants us to put into each other. And the simplest way that I've found to kind of explain that to myself, mystery number three is the how. How do we do that? And for me, it looks like this. I've got to replace I'm in it for me with I'm in it for you. Now, the difference there is obvious, but this really is the difference between fighting for stuff that I want, trying to satisfy my needs, and actively pursuing good things for you. You see, this is more than just saying, it's not my problem. This is more than just saying, yeah, I I see all of the problems, but, but I didn't do it. 
I didn't start that and I didn't cause that for that person. I'll just stay out of it. You see, I'm in it for you means that we actively pursue good on behalf of other people. No matter who they are, no matter how they're different, no matter what they believe or how they behave or how they may be different for us or how opposed we may be on different views about things, every person has intrinsic value given to them by God and I need to be in it for you. You see, that makes me think differently about the people that I work with. It makes me think differently about the people that I work for or people that work for me. It makes me think differently about the man on the street. It makes me think differently about the woman digging through the trash outside the Aronoff. It makes me think differently about how I try to help them. And this is one of the things that I love about Scripture, because in another book by that same author named John that we find in the Bible, he goes on to tell us what love looks like. And this is a fantastic moment, because so often we think that religion just boils down to, because God said so. And what I love about this is that, like, if he's God, I I guess that should be good enough. (laughs) But it's not just because God said so, it's because God did so. And if you look there, this is what it says. By this we know love. All right, so if you want to know what it looks like to try to love other people this way, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a phrase that means because of the ways that we have fallen short of God's standard, because of the ways that we hurt ourselves and hurt people around us, there's a penalty for that. There's a price to be paid. When it says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, that's, that's a big word and a big phrase that pretty much means he paid that price for you. And, and you notice that it says, Not because of your education, not because of your social standing, not because of your nationality, not because of your skin color, not because of anything about you. In this is love, not even that we love God. This isn't even God saying, well, you guys seem to like me, I'll help you out. This is God saying, when you were my enemy, I did everything for you and I would do anything for you because you're mine. Because I made you. And then look at the call to action that it gives us. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You see, when you put those two things together, it becomes a little bit more difficult for me. Because it feels easy to love people theoretically, right? To love all mankind and to love all kinds of people without actually loving any people. Are you with me? It's just me, isn't it? (laughs) That's okay. I still need this message. (laughs) You know, it's it's this moment where we realize it's not enough to just say, well, sure, I love people. I'll I'll try not to hurt anybody. God says, oh, I went far beyond that. He gave everything he had to show us what love is, and he calls us to love others the same way. I don't know about you, but I can't do that by myself. When I try, it almost always boils down to, I'll do it, but only because I'm such a good person, (laughs) right? Start to have pride issues. Or or, or I'll do it. Uh, You've probably heard me talk about this one before. I'll I'll do it, but what I'm really hoping is that you tell me what a good job I did. Uh, There's really just a little bit of something I'm trying to get back. 
You see, but when God loves us, He gives everything just because He loves us. That if we can love that way, then that could change what's going on. Now, if this is really true, this should change the way we live. And you would expect that Christ followers who say that they believe this, you should see some impact from that, right? In fact, when Jesus lived in the Roman Empire, everything that he was doing was countercultural. They did not want anybody teaching slaves that they were worth just as much as their master. They didn't want anybody teaching women that, that their word should be just as trustworthy as a man's. They didn't want anybody telling Jews and Greeks that they should be friends, let alone equals. And yet here comes Jesus breaking down all of those barriers because he's not looking at culture. He's not looking at the moment. He's not saying get with the times. He's going back to the beginning of time, to the moment of creation and saying all of you have value in God the Father's eyes because he made you. If Christians believe that, then they should live that way, right? If we're going to say that that's true, we should see that impact. And, and I want to give you just a couple examples of how we have seen that and how some of the most dramatic moves in history have come because of somebody who became convinced that Jesus meant what he said and that it was really true. One of those is William Wilberforce. If you know this name, it's probably because you know that he was a man in England who helped abolish the slave trade in the British Empire. But he was not always concerned about that. He was not always a follower of Christ. But in 1778, he put his faith in Jesus. He decided that the claims of the Bible were true. And from that moment on, he had an intensely renewed effort to abolish slavery because he believed that every one of those people had value because they were created by God. And in 1833, the Slavery Abolition Act was passed just months before he died. We probably do not know his name, except that he was a man in a position of influence who put his faith in Christ and tried to live out what Jesus was teaching. A more recent one right here in the United States is Martin Luther King Jr. Now, his faith in Christ was at the core of everything that he believed. And even during the turmoil of the civil rights movement, when his opponents would, would slander him, badmouth him, even throw him in jail, he continued to speak a message of forgiveness and love even to his enemies because he believed that despite the mistakes that they were making they were still people created in the image of God and that if he responded with hate if he responded with violence and he was becoming part of the problem instead of helping win them over to what God had designed for us and just another one that I, I thought of this weekend um, They've been doing like a 20-day-long, 24-hours-a-day marathon of Mr. Rogers online. <laughs> like every single episode from like 1967 through 2001 running back to back to back to back. And it's amazing to watch this with my kids and, and have them trying to figure out why the picture is black and white. Now that's weird, right? And what is the thing that he's talking on? Kid, that's a telephone. <laughs> they had to keep the cord connected to the wall. He actually can only talk to people in his kitchen. <laughs> but as we watched this, what was amazing to me is that Fred Rogers, in case you didn't know this, was actually a deeply committed follower of Christ. And when he started that show, it's because he believed that every child needed to know that it didn't matter who they were or what they were like, they had value. 
that they needed a friend who would tell them that. And it was amazing as I was watching some of these with my kids and researching some of this to discover that some of his early episodes in the 60s were highly controversial because he was a white man, the police officer was a black man, and they washed their feet in the same kiddie pool. And people got upset. But Fred Rogers believed that Christ meant what he said when he lived here and that we could actually live by it. Now, it's easy to, to stand here and to say that. It is harder to live it out. And I can think of an example in, in my own life, just in the last couple of years, where somebody else caught me not living this the way that I thought I do, playing basketball with a group of guys on Saturday mornings, an extremely diverse group, whether you want to talk about nationality or social status, economic status, um, which teams in the NBA we like. <laughs> Very diverse. And so it, it, it's easy for me to sit back and think, look at how I love all kinds of people. Until one day, a guy came in who, despite all of our diversity, he was different. And, you know, it really came down to, you know, sometimes it's, it's not even the things we see on the outside. It's, it's people's beliefs or it's people's behavior. And for him, it was behavior. Yeah, he wasn't dangerous. He wasn't going to hurt anybody. But there was just something that I was like, ah, oh, this dude is going to mess this up. Like, we're having fun. We already broke up teams. You know, we're, and he's going to mess it up for everybody else. You know, that, that was how my mind pitched it to me. And so I came over to one of the other guys because I really was in charge of this open gym. I, I, I'm in a position of leadership. But this guy's an influencer, too. So I come to ask him, how do we handle this? And his answer was very simple and extremely convicting. He said, if, if, well, I mean, if we're not nice to him, if we don't show him some love, who's going to? <laughs> Where will he learn that? That cut me to the heart because I am a Christ follower. But I needed a reminder. And so we took a different approach. We invited him to play with us, and I can't believe it. His team won more games than anybody else. And it was just such an important lesson for me to learn that, that that's where it's easy to like make the list of things that I don't fight about or make the list of people, I'm, oh, I'm okay with these kinds of people. But in our day-to-day, we bump into people and we've got to constantly be thinking about the value that they have. I, I learned such an important lesson about taking the time to understand him, to understand who he really was, what his needs really were. And what's crazy about it to me is that we are actually really good friends now. That we talk on a weekly basis, and I look back at a friend that I could have completely missed because their behavior was a little bit different. I want you to imagine with me, because you may be an influencer. You may not be a William Wilberforce, you may not be a Martin Luther King Jr., you may not be a Fred Rogers, but you may be. And regardless of whether you are or not, each of us are around other people that we can influence. And if we let God change this in us, then we start changing what's going on around us. So imagine if for just a week, even just the people in this room, just the people at Horizon, if you could see people the way God sees them and love people the way God loves you willing to forgive the unforgivable, willing to love the unlovable, willing to give everything you have, not just for your own beautiful baby, but for the person sitting next to you, the person who's going to cut you off on the way home. <laughs> and when you have those moments of tension, 
When you have those moments of frustration, those moments of disagreement, those moments where the differences seem stronger than anything else in the world, that you can look them in the eye and just say to yourself, you have value despite our differences, despite our disagreements, no matter what else is going on around us, because you are created by God and so am I. Let's pray that way this morning. Father, I thank you for your word to us. Lord, you know, you see all things and you know all things and you hear our hearts. You know how difficult this can be for me to live out. And so, Lord, I know that it can be difficult for others in this room as well. And so I just pray, Lord, that by your love, you would demonstrate yourself to us. You would make yourself real to us. Lord, that you would help us through the questions that we struggle through. Lord, that we might find something that that you give us that is deeper than our differences. That even if we can't control everything in the world, we can control ourselves and we can impact the world around us to change what's going on. Lord, I pray that even this moment this morning, you might bring to our minds a couple of people or a couple of situations that we could go out from here and change I'm in it for me to I'm in it for you. And Lord, I pray that all of this would bring glory to your name in the name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you all for being here this week for another round of the Magical Mystery Tour. Uh, If this is your first time with us, I'd love to get to meet you. I'll be hanging out up here at the front. We also have folks that are in the third door on the left we call the hearth room that would love to just put a name with the face. Uh, If you did come prepared to give this morning, there are offering boxes that you'll see on your way out. But most of all, I'd just like to invite you to come back next week for more Magical Mystery Tour. Thanks for coming.